Welcome to the Mark Sterry Music Podcast. This podcast is an audio journal of my guests and I's adventures throughout the live and local music biz. Fun conversations, cool tunes, and good times will be had. My name is Mark Sterry, and I'm a 15-plus year veteran of the Twin Cities, Minnesota metro music scene. Check me out at Mark Sterry, that's S-T-A-R-Y, music.net. Also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. My new album, White Knuckle Life, as well as my other original records, are available for download on iTunes, CD Baby, etc. This podcast drops every Tuesday, if not before, on iTunes, SoundCloud, and most other places podcasts are available. If you enjoy it, please subscribe on iTunes. It's totally free and guarantees you'll never miss an episode. Also, consider helping get the word out in the street via social media, five-star rating and review on iTunes, word of mouth, etc. Happy Thought of the Day is by Muddy Waters. The Blues had a baby, and they named it Rock and Roll. Thanks for tuning in, and welcome to the Mark Sterry Music Podcast. Enjoy! Welcome back to the Mark Sterry Music Podcast, episode 28. A purple cloud hangs over the state of Minnesota this week due to the loss of the musical icon Prince. Amazing how one person's musical catalog can affect so many people. Blues music legend Lonnie Mack also passed away this week. Check out my favorite ballad of all time, Falling Back in Love with You, on his 1985 record, Strike Like Lightning, which was produced by Stevie Ray Vaughan. Last week's gigs wrap-up, Wednesday, my show at Pub 42 in New Hope, Minnesota, was unfortunately canceled due to the Minnesota Wild playoff hockey game. No worries, though. I'll be back rocking out at Pub 42 next week. Thursday, Mr. Brian Keith Johnson and myself rocked out at Lucky's 13 in Burnsville, Minnesota. Spirits were kind of down due to the loss of Prince that day, but we did our best to cheer folks up with our music. Friday, Copper, my golden retriever, and myself made the trek down to Byron, Minnesota to play a private show at Summerby Golf Club. Upcoming shows, Wednesday, April 27th, 2016, I'll be performing a solo show at Pub 42 in New Hope, Minnesota from 8 to 10 p.m. Thursday, April 28th, 2016, Mr. Brian K. Johnson and myself will be rocking out at the Wyzetta Bar and Grill, a.k.a. the Muni, in Wyzetta, Minnesota, from 8 to 11 p.m. Friday, April 29th, I'll be performing a solo show at Danny's in Stillwater from 7 to 10 p.m. Saturday, April 30th, 2016, the debut of the new Mark Sterry Trio featuring Allie Gray and Brian Johnson at Star Prairie Sports Bar in Star Prairie, Wisconsin from 7 to 10 p.m. A do-not-miss show. Guest this week is part two of three with Minnesota music blues legend Pat Hayes of Lamont Cranston Blues Band. We discuss Dan Aykroyd, E-Jam, the future of blues, etc. Enjoy the conversation. Mr. Pat Hayes, 
Welcome back to the Mark Stereo Music Podcast, part two. Uh, we're having a great time here at Pat's beautiful home right outside of Lake Minnetonka. It's a beautiful spring day. It is really nice here, we got to admit. It don't get no better than this. No, it's a beautiful day. I've had my cappuccino and I'm blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I'll be talking and talking. i got millions of stories. Well, we were talking the last time about Chicago when we went to do this session and where they were doing a movie called Another Saturday Night. Saturday night. It was Franken and Davis. And uh, we were in Chicago and we were in the studio recording our parts for because they were doing Shakedown in a movie. And they wanted me to play harp and they wanted Bruce to play piano. So we did it and then we're done. It's 12 o'clock Saturday night. We're in Chicago. What do you do? Well, let's go down to the Kingston Mines. Let's go on down to the Kingston Mines. It opened at four in the morning. Well, of course you got to go down there. So we go down there. Who's playing? Sugar Blue was playing. And so, Sugar, how you doing? See, he knows me. He said, what are you doing here? I said, well, I'm doing the soundtrack for the movie from these guys from Saturday Night Live. He said, well, what's their name? So he writes, them, writes their names down on a piece of paper because he's going to introduce them, you know. And uh, during the middle of the show, he goes, uh, we got some folks here from Saturday Night Live. and Give it up for them. And there's not enough applause, you know. He says, come on, give it up. You watch that. Shit. <laughs> And everybody, yeah, okay. And now I got a young man, Pat Hayes, going to come and blow a harp. And, and I got up there to blow, and I said, man, the place was packed, you know. And these people are real blues freaks. They're real Chicago blues people. I knew I had to do good. So I, I did the best. I figured I've got to do the best I possibly can with a lot of soul and just do the best I can possibly can here. And me and Sugar got into this harmonica duel that was just, you know, awesome because i was playing more on the low notes and he was up on the high notes and uh it was awesome and when i got done with that i was just shaking and i walked over to the bar to get a beer and the band is playing and you know and i could hear the band playing and i looked next to me and sugar blue's getting a beer too i said well you gotta do a show man you gotta he says after we did that there's nothing more that we can do oh that's awesome <laughs> Wow. For the folks listening who don't know who Sugar Blue is, he's one of my favorites for sure, but he's a lot of people would know the song Miss You by the Rolling Stones. <laughs> he's the guy that played harmonica on Yeah, he was a really nice he was always really nice to me. But we ran into a lot of guys in Chicago at the Kingston Mines like that. Billy Branch came down there. Who, Billy Branch is yep. one of the best little Walter-type harp players going around now. But the big one was Cotton. James Cotton. Cotton came in one night. And we were playing down at the mine. So we would do two nights. It was, and I'd always, I was bringing in these jammers. And I'd bring in sugar and, you know. I bring in these jammers. Well, that night, it was the last tune of the night. We had this, this guy from Chicago playing chromatic, and I was on regular harp. And I was doing my solo, and I was down on my knees on the floor in this big, fantastic crescendo type thing, you know. And I, somebody just walks by me. I feel, some, you know, my eyes are closed, but I could feel somebody brush by me. I mean, what the heck? Then you hear the announcer, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. James Cotton. <laughs> I look up, oh, my God, it's James Cotton. He's heading for the mic. He's heading for the chromatic. Well, I don't think he can play chromatic much, so I, I was going to hand him my mic, my harp. I said, take this harp, man. 
no man, give me the chromatic. And he he makes the band get get way down, so he's really quiet, and he just goes, and the crowd, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. But uh, Chatty Morgan was playing with us then, a really good young guitar player that we met, and he was so blown away that that Cotton was up there. I mean, it was just he just blown away. He's like only eighteen, nineteen years old, and wow. here comes Cotton. In person, like he's known for having just this, he blows so hard through his harmonica. Like just the reeds sound like they're going to come right off. Is it like that in person as well? Is he just well, he didn't that? play the regular harp that time, so I never. He, you can't bend the chromatic like you can the regular harp. So he didn't. I didn't get to see that. But he went next door. See, there's two bands at the mines. There's two stages. We were done, and then the next band started. Well, he went over there to jam with them. When he had Buddy Miles on drums, and he started doing this. The Creeper. And he's doing it just like the record. He's doing it awesome. See, I saw him do that in 69 at the, at the Blues Festival. When he did that, it sent chills down my spine. That song is awesome. That's one of my favorites. Well, yeah. that's the one that Magic Dick stole and called it Whammer Jammer. If you I listen, hear that. you hit you listen to Whammer Jammer, it's it's ripped right off. And I don't care who hears me say this <laughs> on in Radio Land. He ripped it right off from Cotton. And so you're gonna put a book out about some share some. Well, I'm stuff. writing these these stories down. Um, it's not about me so much as all the guys I ran into. Yeah. So my story is kind of mixed in there. That maybe someday there'll be a story about me. But I, I think people would rather read about these people that are more famous. And uh, you know, I'm trying to capture down what these guys were like before it's too late. You know, I think that this music, um, the blues music, and these guys should not be forgotten like that because they're so important to. Uh, to the development of rock and roll, development of jazz, uh, you know, R and B, it all comes back to these guys. And that's why I'm so excited to read it when you do finish, because some of us old blues fans try to study these guys and would just like some kind of morsel of what their personality was like. Well, I would that's love what to I... know Big Big Walter Horton was like, or or James Cotton, or or uh, you know Junior Wells. So I'm just my jaws dropped. Well, that's what I'm putting in my book. I'm saying these guys had individual personalities that came out on stage. They weren't cookie cutter copies. Like the Howlin' Wolf was totally different than Muddy Waters. Sonny Boy is totally different than the other guys. They all had their individual. Um, personalities that came out in their music and their and their stage presence. Uh, you see a lot of people nowadays that well, you know, it's it just you don't see that nowadays as much where somebody's got this totally unique um, style and uh, personality that comes out. You see it once in a while, but it, but if it's in the confines of the blues, you can't get too far out of the the blues. Uh, genre before you know if you're going to be weird you're not going to be blues no more yeah you know what i'm saying so you've got to be you got to go back way to the roots to find out how to be a little bit different you got all these harp players now they all sound the same 
they're all trying to be like Kim Wilson or William Clark, and they have all got that same sound. That's one of the reasons that blues isn't so popular anymore because there's so many crummy blues bands. And then you got a lot of them that that are they're like a history lesson. It's no fun. It's like going to school. You know, it's like a museum. It's like you go, oh, you're seeing the real blues. We got to take it seriously. You know, you can't get, you can't have fun with it, of course. You know, and there's not that many good-looking blues singers. That's what Bonnie Raitt told me. She said, the reason they're popular is you don't have any good-looking sing- blues singers no more. <laughs> like Elvis or somebody, you know. Yeah. Well, you, there's a few. There's Tab Benoit and, and uh, Tommy Castro. I mean, there's a few. But uh, generally, it's it's a big uh, slob show. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big slob show. <laughs> I should talk, though, you know, because uh, I'm not the stud muffin I used to be either. But uh, I think there's some to that. What do you think? Just what's the future of blues? Well, I, you, I, it's more like back to the roots of it. The the um, like Charlie Parr, you know. Guys that are playing more of the Delta blues style, you know, back with the slide, you know, the the real honest stuff from the Delta, the dirt, the funky old blues. But the Chicago blues with the with like in the style of electric harp, like the style of the Thunderbirds, there's too many bands like that. So that's that's been done to death. You gotta go back to the roots. And if you're gonna learn something, you're gonna learn from the roots and take it on a little different direction than it went before so i've been encouraged by people like there was gary clark and there was a guy i saw on tv i think it was guy clark jr gary clark it was guy blowing heart okay that blew my mind it was he was on that show called wood songs okay uh i think and i can't remember it wasn't it wasn't the guitar player it's a guy who plays guitar and harp he's more of a folky guy okay and he picked up that harp and he did this amazing, amazing, you know, like when you do this. You know, really fast pattern like that. Like Sonny Terry? Kind of. Well, there's a guy I like called Peg Leg Sam that does that kind of stuff. And it's, he was doing that just amazing. I thought Peg Leg Sam was the top dog, but uh, this guy... Uh, when he laid that on me, I just went, oh, my God, that's awesome. He was doing that pat, that patter, but he'd mix it up, you know. And he'd yeah. go. Well, <laughs> a real fast pattern like that. Well, I do that on E-Jam at the end of E-Jam a lot. And I, I, people have been digging that. So I think, and he was sitting there with no band. He's sitting there by himself. I'm doing that a little bit now where I will sit there and, and do a, like when I did a few solo shows, I'll just pick up the harp and do one, one or two, three songs with just a harp with no backing. And people seem to like that. I think there's a future for blues, of course, but it, it can't be the same. It's got to be different. And that's one thing all these guys told me that I talked to, all these old blues guys. Most of them were very encouraging, very nice to me. They say, don't just try to copy me. Do your own thing. You've got to copy somebody to learn 
in the first place. But and they did that too. I mean, Muddy was copying Robert Johnson and Sunhouse and people like that. And uh, but then he took it on his own his own way. And a lot of these guys would say, you know, don't just copy me. Do it your own way. And if and express what's in your heart and what's in your soul. Um, if you can do that and get your unique style, that's where the future will go okay. with it. Interesting. Um, studying blues harmonica, I love to kind of sit down and and uh, figure out my favorite ones or whom I get the most influence from. If you had to come up with an like an NBA Olympics basketball team of harmonica players. Let's say who would be in your top three or top five. Okay, right away you got Little Walter, Sonny Boy Williamson, Sonny Terry, Paul Butterfield. Yeah. I would say those four. Then, there's, of course, there's others you can add on. And, you know, I ran into Butterfield. There's a pretty big story. Butterfield was my big influence. He's the first electric harp player I heard. Yeah. And when I heard Born in Chicago, the first version of Born in Chicago, and I was like, what is that instrument? I didn't know what it was. I mean, I heard Little Wall. I mean, I heard... I heard Bob Dylan bow harp, and I heard Mick Jagger, the Stones had harp, and the Arbors, but they didn't have electric harp going through and single note riffing like a horn. When I heard that butter, when heard that Butterfield tune, see, my sister was playing folk guitar, and she bought a record called Folk Song '65, and that had an early version of Born in Chicago on it, that had um, Bill Bloomfield was playing piano. And uh, Elvin Bishop was the only guitar player. So it was a different version than the version that came out later. It was like a teaser sampler album. And you know, this tune came on, and I heard this instrument. I said, what is that? It, it sounded to me like a combination of a trumpet and an elephant. <laughs> and I, what is that? And my brother said, that's a, a harmonica through an amp. And I said, oh, well, I got to learn how to do that, man. Heck, yeah. Did you buy the bullet mic and everything no, like he had? No, or the, the, no, no. Or the, what's a pistol grip mic? Yeah, well, actually, that was the kind of mic everybody had anyway. Okay. Back in those days. The, you know, the cheap, sure microphones. Those those are the kind of mics most guys, you just had for your PA anyway. Yeah. You know, so it wasn't a special thing to run out and get it. Uh, but I probably got one. I was using whatever I could get. You know, I didn't know what I was doing, but I was getting these funky amps that had the nasty sound. But I, I tried to have those kind of mics that he had for a long time. I'd like to get one again. I've got about six in a that are all that don't work anymore, <laughs> right here. But um, I'd like to get one again. No, but I'm I'm pretty happy with what I got now. I don't think it's the mic so much, and it's bullet mics. Everybody's playing those, so I try to stay away from them because I you want to be different. You don't want to be like everybody else. That's one of the big keys to it. Yeah. In fact, I'm thinking of going without a mic. I'm thinking about going just through the PA mic, from like Sunny Boy does and stuff. I've been 
real successful when I do that at my shows now. People seem to like that because it's clear. And yeah, I think it's a refreshing change from the blasting in your face all the time yeah. with electric. The problem with the harp is there's not much you can do on it. It's only 10 notes. You know, you, if you're a good, a good guy can do a lot, but when you're playing four hours in a bar or three full hours, <clears throat> or if you have a concert really two two hours, you can you can get repetitive after a while. So that's kind of why I like to play guitar and mix it up. And you know, if you see Kim Wilson, he doesn't play harp on every song anymore. He he might play thirty percent on the harp uh, because if there's too much of it, um, it get be too, it's it's just too repetitive. Yeah. And if you can change them sounds, I think that's why when you when I grab that vocal mic and just play it cl uh, cleanly through there, it's it's a refreshing treat to people's ears. And that's what I've been doing. And place that's easy, then all you got to walk in with your harps, that's it. <laughs> and you get a harp roadie. Harp roadie. Nice. All he does is haul your harps around. <laughs> yeah, stuff He's, them in your pocket. And... That's what I did the other night. I was We were playing that benefit for um, Flint, Michigan. Yep, I read, I read about that on Facebook. Did you see any, any clippings? I saw some clips. Must have been Rico's Facebook. Oh, really? Okay. Well, I just walked in there with my harps. That's it. And just blew through the PA mic. I didn't have to haul amps. That's great. That's the way to do her. That's what money, or that's what Mojo used to do. He never brought an amp. Mojo was like, um, he would wear the big bandolero, you know, the harp bandolero. But he had every every harp counted down so he knew what key it was he didn't he couldn't tell the keys yeah. one night he handed me his his bandolero and i'm looking <laughs> for a c and i'm pulling them all out i pulled them all out and put them in the wrong way and he got mad and he but he wouldn't admit why he was mad i said why is mojo so mad he said well you messed up the order of the the harps in the in the bandolero oh my gosh <laughs> that's hilarious um so yeah, we're going to, I wanted, could we do one more episode? Is that okay? Yeah, sure. Okay. I, mean, I have fun doing this. I oh, love this, uh, this is a great time, my friend. Uh, I guess, because I want the whole next episode, I'll ask you about like shows and your favorite shows. And I definitely want to ask you about the Rolling Stones stuff. Oh, okay. So maybe let's finish this one off with uh, any interesting stories about Dan Aykroyd. It's 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark. And we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. Well, I just, I suppose they're all interesting, but I i was talking earlier about how we live with Davis and Frank, and they went to New York. Well, we went out there to play. I think it was 78 or so. Well, see, I'm reading that, that book on, I'm reading this book right now. Okay. So I'm kind of remembering what year it was. See, we, right when they, we oh, were that's there. awesome. We were there the week before. It's a book about John Belushi. It, it's not. I, it's by Bob Woodward called Wired, and it's all about his drug use, which I'm not that crazy about reading. But, and you know, I tried to read this one time before, and I put it down because I thought it was too much about drugs. But now I'm trying to remember my dates. So this has it when they, when they started the Blues Brothers, it was a week after we were there. We met them a week before, and they said, watch the show next week. That's when they debuted the Blues Brothers. And I'm finding out right now that was 78. Yeah. Pretty sure it was 78. So I can get my, my um, 
dates together here. But um, we went out to New York. We were on tour. We went out to the East Coast. We were, that's when we met Bonnie Raitt. We played some shows with her on the East Coast. We had a show in New York at the other end, the old Bitter End Coffee House in Greenwich Village. And uh, we had three nights there. We had Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Well, Thursday night, um, Davis came in and brought Belushi and Aykroyd. And they did not talk to us. See, their show at that time was the number one show in the country. They just sort of scoped us out. The next night was Friday. They came back, and this time they talked to us. Now they, they want to jam. Well, Belushi wanted to jam, but Aykroyd wouldn't get up there. And Larry taped it, and Belushi got up and saying, hey, bartender, and all that stuff. And I was saying, yeah, I wish more people were down here. He says, well, we'll go out with, we'll put them sandwich boards on and go out and walk the street and get some people in here. <laughs> and after the show, we went over to the next bar, and we drank, and then we went over. We walked down to CBGB's. In the, like 2 in the morning, we walked down to CBGB's where the cramps were playing. And I was in the can next to the lead singer, and I, they were doing trash men songs. They were doing surfing bird. Oh, well, everybody's heard about the bird. Bird, bird, bird. Bird's a winner. Well, the bird, bird, bird. Bird is a winner. Well, the bird, bird, bird. Well, the bird is a winner. Well, the bird, bird, bird. The bird's a winner. Well, the bird, bird, bird. Well, the bird is a winner. Well, the bird, bird. The bird's a winner. Well, the bird. Yeah. I say, hey, man, you should do the flip side of that. King of the surf. He's like, he looks at me like you, hick. I said, I'm from Minneapolis. I used to see him when I was a kid. He's like, you get out of my face, you nerd country wow. boy. But so the next night was Saturday. They didn't come, but they invited us to their after show party, which we went to and had a really, they were really nice to us. So that's how we got to meet them. So anytime Ackroyd was coming through town or something, he'd, he'd come and sit in with us or he'd be in town for some reason. He would come down to our gig. He, had, he came out to Polly's in Chanhassen once, and we did an awesome set together. And uh, he's always been real helpful to me, and he started having me on his, on his radio show. Uh, whenever we had an album on, he'd, he'd, then he had us coming out to all the opening House of Blueses. The first one was in L.A., the big one in Hollywood. And we got to stay right across the street at the, the Wild Hotel that the the uh, rock stars always always stayed in, and um, we played at the at the grand opening. Oh, oh no, it was just me. The band didn't get to go to that one. Just me, and I said, "Let's bring Rico along." And <laughs> that one was really cool. That was uh, that was awesome. They had James Brown band on there. They had the Blues Brothers. I got jam with the Blues Brothers. And, then we did Cleveland. Well, we did a lot of them. We did Cleveland. We did Atlantic City. We did Chicago. He would fly us in for one show, and we'd just fly back. You know, we'd fly out and do one show and fly back. Wow. And those were lots of fun. Is but, he a good harmonica player, in your opinion? Uh, no. I mean, he's not, <laughs> he's, he's not going to blow you away or anything. <laughs> but he's passable. He's passable. He's, I mean, you're not going to throw stuff at him. But <laughs> he's not gonna blow you away or nothing. But he knows that he's just having fun with it. And and you know when they came out, they were kind of thinking of having us be their backup band. And I didn't want to do it because see at that time my career looked like it was gonna take off. We had gotten signed with RCA Records and later after that, and it looked like we were gonna take off and be stars. 
I didn't want to always be known as the band that, that backed them up. And there was talk about having us on the show, too, but I didn't know what song to do. If you're going to do one or two songs, which ones are you going to do? You're always going to wish you did something else. But I didn't want to be known as their backup band because the blues traditionalists, they were really down on them because they didn't think they were any good. And, you know, here's guys like Duke Robillard or, or, or you know, fantastic blues guys that are that are still starving and here comes these bozos who don't know how to play but they're they got a hit record they're one of the only hit blues records in history So they were kind of frowned upon by, by a lot of the blues traditionalists. But I didn't frown on them. I thought that was great because they're, they're bringing it, they're exposing people to it. And the songs they did, these old writers got big royalties. And James Brown was in their movie. I mean, it revived his career. And he'll, he'll say that too. Yeah, like you were saying back in the day to have people share this vision of the blues and get that out there. I know in my experience, I think my first introduction to the blues was through the movie, you know, and their versions of Sweet Home Chicago and everything else. So they did their job, and then they kind of get you a taste, then you dive into your right. own adventures into it. Right, right. So I had no, no problem with, with them doing that. But um, I, had a, I didn't really want to be their band. In fact, Paul Schaefer called us, and he... I was up in playing it. I was staying in some hotel up in Bawabic. We were up in the Iron Range in the middle of winter. And I get a call from Paul Schaefer. Well, how do you guys, do you read music? I said, no. He said, well, how do you figure out your horn parts? I said, well, we go, ba, ba, da, da. Okay, you do, ba, ba, da, da. <laughs> That's how we figure it out. He says, okay, okay. But see, they were looking at Delbert McClinton, too. Okay. They asked, they kind of asked both of us if we wanted to do it. And then I think they thought, well, we don't want to disappoint either one, so we'll go with studio musicians like Cropper and Dunn, you know, the, those studio musicians. And that was the smart way to go. So I'm kind of glad that, that we, we didn't do it in a way because it would always haunt me forever. Okay. Wow. Interesting stories. Uh, Mr. Pat Hayes. Thank you again for being on the Mark Sterry Music Podcast. I guess we'll do an episode three. I got a couple more questions for you, and these stories are okay. spectacular. Thank you for sharing with them, Pat. Please stick around for part three. Thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of the Mark Sterry Music Podcast. Hope you've enjoyed the program. We'll see you back here for a new podcast about life and times in the live and local music scene each and every Tuesday, if not before, on iTunes, SoundCloud, and most other places podcasts are available. Also, if you get a chance, please go check out some live music somewhere. It could be a great and worthwhile experience. Life is short. Go have some fun. Till next time.